Ah, yes, up the waz, up the waz. And even our next guest is uh, up the waz, up the waz. Round one of pool players uh, complete in the 2023 Rugby World Cup with the French crowds filling stadiums and uh, also the touring fans making their passion for rugby well known. It's full of colour, isn't it? There would not have been a louder scene than Stade de France on Saturday. The French rolled on, taking the momentum from the 78,000 screaming Allez le bleu. If you consider the French a round one favourite, you would have to found, you would have found luck elsewhere with England, South Africa, Australia and Ireland all getting their job done. A tier one masterclass. Jamie Wall is uh, our guest. He's just landed back in the country after a, a quick trip to Saint-Denis. Uh, joins us to cast his eye over the action in the north. Good morning to you, Jamie. Welcome home. Yeah, good morning, Francie. Thank you for that. Atmosphere in uh, France around the World Cup, everything you thought it would be? Uh, yeah, it was certainly a very unique atmosphere. Like nothing I've ever been in before for a rugby match anyway. It was uh, it was very intimidating um, uh, atmosphere at Stade de France. Uh, also heightened by the fact that it was about a million degrees uh, in there at the time and they made us wait outside for about an hour before we were allowed in. Um, and... Yeah, it was it was always going to be tough uh, for the All Blacks. Obviously, you know the France is a very good team, uh, and it showed. And uh, I think the most disappointing thing out of that game, from where I saw it anyway, is that the All Blacks kind of had all the bits to win that game, but just couldn't put them together in order to 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 see off a French team that actually probably didn't really play as well as they they thought they were going to. And mm. and talking to some of the French journalists afterwards. They were very kind of ho hum about France's performance. They were like, "Oh, these, these guys can play a lot better than this." And so, for the All Blacks to be trying everything and still not managing to crack a team that's not even playing as well as it could be, I think that's really worrying. I agree. I totally agree. I thought France were were average, just average, which makes us look uh, perhaps even uh, a little less than average. So, what about selections? Uh, you, and okay, you. You, you can't gauge on the fact that your captain's going to get injured 24 hours out or whatever after being named in the side. But um, what about the the fact that they put in um, a utility-type loose forward in Tupu Vaya when they had Jacobson, a specialist, on the bench? Um, Christie again um, in the frame at uh, at halfback. No McKenzie apparent at all around the scene. What are you making of what's going on over there? Yeah, it, it is a bit odd. Uh, especially the um, the Tupovai uh, situation. Not saying that Tupovai is not a good player, but he's a lock. You know, he's he's played a bit at six, uh, but at Test level, you'd, you'd have to say he's a he's a he's a lock. Uh, so why they didn't use Jacobson, especially considering that Jacobson had come off only having to play twenty minutes at Twickenham um, before he got hooked because Barrett was was sent off. Um, I, I guess they'd sort of planned around having. Uh, speed on both sides of the scrum, you know, having two open side flankers there and Dalton and, and Sam Kane. Uh, but even that doesn't really sort of make much sense either by putting Vi there. I mean, good on them for backing him, I guess, but it didn't really come off. Um, yeah, as for Christie, I mean, again, I'm just as miffed as everyone else about that. I would have thought Roygaard would have been one of the first names you'd, you'd be putting on the bench there after what, what he did and what, what he's done this year. Like, he just hasn't had a bad game at all. Uh, and I think that yeah, when Christie came on, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not blaming him for them losing the game or anything because it kind of turned on Will Jordan's yellow card, and that was, I think, I think that was, if not before Christie came on, uh, very close to it. Uh, but I just don't think he's a guy that comes off the bench and is really going to change anything. Uh, 
Um, and yeah, it was just uh, obviously the late withdrawal of Kane did kind of throw everything. What was quite a carefully planned out balance of a team in a bit of disarray. But really, the, the All Blacks should be better than that. They should be able to adjust a lot, a lot quicker and a lot more seamlessly into a situation where they're playing against a very good uh, opposition uh, by be- being able to manage, uh, move their pieces around. And it says a lot that uh, with the draw- withdrawal of Imoni Narawa, a winger, that they've brought in a loose forward because it shows mm. that their squad probably was never balanced in the first place. It just it defies their own selection logic, which has been a consistent theme of this team. Uh, under Ian Foster. I, I, just while you're talking there, and you were saying um, he's a lock, Dubuvai's a lock, so why don't they put him, if they wanted to play him, put him in lock. Does Scott Barrett not play pretty well at six? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, again, I feel like it was just down to the fact they wanted a bit more mobility on um, and play more left and right flanker uh, rather than open and blindside. But again, like Barrett's played there this year. There's no real reason why they can't just switch back into a more traditional open and blindside um, flanker, flanker role. And I think that the biggest the biggest uh, issue for me is that this is exactly what we went through four years ago. Uh, and if they haven't figured it out by now, like when are they going to figure it out? And and that's what uh, is is getting a bit repetitive and a bit a bit. Um, uh, hard to understand from the All Blacks is they keep talking positive after these losses, uh, after the last two losses, about how there's so much to the learn, learnings that they're going to take and and lessons that they're, 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 they're taking out of these games. It's like you're actually at the World Cup, haven't you? Shouldn't you have learned everything <laughs> by now? Shouldn't you have at least learned what your team is? Uh, and that's mm. that's why I think that the the consistent kind of upbeat chat after each time they're getting thumped, which is now twice in a row. Like, I, I, I need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that that's actually, uh, on aggregate, the worst two uh, all-black losses like in a row, like in terms of points conceded in two consecutive tests. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's the case. And so if you're sitting there talking about, oh, yeah, we learned a lot, it's like, yeah, you learned how to get whipped again. No, it's it's... it's, it's... It's baffling, um, and it's great that you've come home with the same thoughts, I think, that um, people are echoing uh, over here. So what now? Okay, uh, we've learned. Okay, we've got those learnings. So strategically, selection-wise, how do we treat it from here on in? Uh, Namibia, we should thump, but um, how do we go about thumping them with our best team or, or players that we're, we're probably not going to use anyway in the quarterfinal? Yeah, that's a great question because, like, normally you would think that this group is quite perfectly set up for the All Blacks. We can kind of roll the dice, give guys a rest, uh, give guys a bit of game time now. But you're like, well, if you haven't even figured out what your top 15 is and you've got guys out injured, that's not their fault, to be fair. You know, Kane getting injured, like no one planned on that uh, happening. Um, but what you do in these next two games, and also considering that they've got that two-week break, uh, I think between um, Uruguay, uh, sorry, Italy, and, and you, in the last game against Uruguay, so perhaps you play your best team against Italy because, like, that's shaping up to be a really important game now. Because um, Italy, probably not, obviously not favourites to going in, but they're not bad. They're not. They're not like a, an awful like uh, team they're going to beat by 100 points anymore. Um, and it's going to come down to the fact that one thing that got brought up overnight was that France and Italy play in the last. Um, game of pool play 
and if Italy go in that with uh, a couple of wins and a loss to the All Blacks, and the All Blacks go in with a couple of wins and a loss to France, what do France then do? Because they actually hold a bit of the power of the group. Do they, I'm not saying they're going to throw the game, but would they rest their top players for their game and give Italy a bit of a sniff? Because then all of a sudden, uh, the, the All Blacks may well be riding on that result because it, and it's going to come down to sort of points difference over um, Uruguay and, and Namibia. And the, the pressure's going to be really on to rack up some huge scores against them just to make it make it safe so they're not having to worry about their result. So then there's that, um, that factor in, in play as well. And all of a sudden... Uh, that game against France, which everyone said, "Oh, it doesn't really matter because they doesn't, you know, they have no control over whether they play France or sorry, um, Ireland or the Springboks or Scotland in, in their in their quarter." Well, now all of a sudden France has a say in that, and so does Italy. Right. Let's look at one of the other aspects which everyone said would rear its ugly head, and that's the judiciary and the officiating system. Uh, how wrong now have uh, World Rugby got this um, this absolute? farcical system they've got in place. We have a judiciary system that two weeks ago um, well, it let Owen Farrell off and then they turn around and appeal their own, they appeal their own system and Farrell gets uh, a ban for a while, which I think everyone knew was going to happen. Then you get a situation at the weekend where a referee, uh, because of a, a, a genuine accidental head collision, sends a player to the bin uh, he then gets red carded by the TMO. He will not get uh, any further punishment, uh, Tom Curry. We know that. Um, and, and the TMO uh, deprives a team of a player for 68 minutes. So he gets this sin bin, which is 10, and then the rest of the 68. They, they deprive a, a player, a, a team of a 68 minutes. How can, that, how can a system like that be right? Yeah, well, I think that probably needs a bit of unpacking what you what you just said. I mean, f- first off, the Farrell thing was not an entirely world rugby um, uh, system. He was he was originally banned by an independent um, judiciary, which was overseeing the uh, that set of test matches, and then world rugby stepped in and used their overriding power in order to do that. Now, I think that there's a case that you could say, well, why isn't world rugby just controlling everything at test match level? Why is mm. it being left up some randoms down in Australia to do it? Because that's that's essentially what happened. Um, so they still deserve a bit of scrutiny over that. But I, I also, um, just on on the Tom Curry incident, I mean, yes, the, the 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 issue that we have though is that you can actually make a case for the TMO getting that one right. Uh, you don't have to like the law, like people clashing heads. It seems like a really odd reason to send a guy off the field, but under the framework, legal framework that he has, you could say he got that right. But at the same time, you can turn around and say he got it wrong. Now, that's the biggest problem that we've got. There's no uh, clear-cut black-and-white instance of, like, well, that's a red card and that's not. Because you could say that that's either a, a red card and he gets sent off and be technically correct, or you can say it's not even a penalty and be technically correct about that. That's the situation that we've got ourselves into. And the fact that we're sitting here on a, on a weekday morning and discussing referee decisions again for the how many times have we have we done this, Smithy? Like it's 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 mm. just uh, it's such a uh, it's it's so boring. And and we're in a we're in a situation now where like it's not just uh, if it's a when we go and, and what we're going to be talking about on Monday morning. Like which which decisions going to going to affect the weekend's Test rugby? And it's it's not right. It's it, the sports in a really 
bad place if we know the names of the referees better than we know the names of the players and we know the way that a judiciary works better than we know the way that a breakdown is officiated. Mm. Well, you know, my clue to that was, uh, you know, what prompted me to ask you that is uh, Sir Clive Woodward's comments where he says um, the game is on a precipice. I mean, this is a guy, you know, a highly respected man. Uh, and, I, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a game and a decision here that uh, didn't even affect the All Blacks. Uh, had it affected the All Blacks, we'd have been deprived of someone for 68 minutes who would not be un- get any further punishment. God knows what we'd be saying about it. But when a guy like Woodward comes out and says that he feels the game, the world game, the global game, is on a precipice, should we not take notice? Well, just one thing on that. I mean, it didn't actually affect England because they, um, they went on and won that, that game yeah. really, really comfortably. And uh, that, I think that's something else we need to be talking about is... You know, we 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 have it in our heads that red cards are these big crucial moments in test matches, but that that game proved completely proved otherwise because England completely dominated that game uh, from from then on in. If anything, they played better with um, with fourteen men. So there's a, there's a there's a conversation to be had around that and around just how much impact they they actually have. Uh, for Sir, Sir Clive's um, comments, like yeah yeah, he's correct um, in that. I think for those of us who've been following rugby our whole lives, it's it's really not the game that we, we grew up with anymore. But at the same time, they're selling out every game that they're playing at this World Cup. And I was I was at one of them. And, uh, you know, they didn't... It's not like they were charging peanuts to get in either. So the people who are running this thing, uh, when they look at their balance sheets, they're going to turn around and say, well, um, <laughs> we, we, we must be getting something right. Uh, because like this is this is shaping up to be probably the most well attended and financially successful World Cup of all time. Yeah, there's no doubt. Who's impressed you outside of um, what we've been talking about? Uh, who who who's impressed you so far? Uh, very impressed with Ireland. I mean, obviously they're playing Romania, and you know it's a bit of a mismatch there. But I, I really like the way that they went about their work in that game. They looked very slick once they. I mean, they did concede an early try, obviously, but they. Managed to bounce back, and and uh, you know they were just getting the most out of Johnny Sexton and Bundyaki in that um, inside um, uh, first five, second five pairing there. That looked really ominous if the All Blacks have to come up against that because Bundyaki is looking gigantic at the moment. I don't know what he's been eating, but it's a lot of it, and he's he's, he's it's like he's doubled in size since the last time we saw him. Um, and Jamison Gibson Park was playing really well as well. So yeah, I, I think I'm looking really good. Like I said, France. I think the ominous thing about France is they can definitely shift up a couple of gears uh, from from mm-hmm. where they were, and I think also that uh, England, if that's the way they want to play, uh, they're very good at it. Uh, if they just want to boot it and wait for penalties, um, you know, like it works for them, and they can. That's the way you win a knockout game of 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 tournament rugby by just simply waiting for your opportunities. Uh, I was really entertained with the Wales-Fiji game. Like, there's a lot to probably talk about out of that. Um, pretty disappointed that uh, Fiji couldn't couldn't pull it off because they were actually going into that game as favourites. But it was a hell of an effort uh, by Wales, especially considering that the conditions they were playing in were uh, very Fijian, uh, and, and the Fijians would have felt right at home. Um, but it was a very entertaining game. So I think that's the key takeaways from the first weekend. But I think the, the main thing is that there's been a lot of kicking uh, so far in this mm. one, uh, a lot of it might be to do with the heat. Like teams are just um, 
just kicking a lot more to just give themselves, give their forwards a bit of a rest. And I can completely understand that because I was in it myself. And it's it's actually unbearable. Like it's I don't know how the hell they're playing games of rugby up there right now. It was it was about thirty two degrees by the time the game kicked off the other night and started to France and that was at nine PM at night. So you can imagine what it's like if you're out there trying to run around and tackle people. Mm, sure. Okay, uh thanks for giving us the the update there, uh, Jamie. And um yeah, interesting, uh, some of the thoughts uh, coming out of uh, what they should do from here on in. Uh, yeah, as I said, welcome home, and uh, we'll catch up again shortly. Thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Up the wires.